0: If more of you supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Blah blah blah, the blah blah blah. Sending out good
1: vibes. Blah blah blah, good vibes. Blah blah blah, good vibes. Blah blah good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths
2: of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection, and put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming
3: track, shivers or vibrations and stuff like that.
0: okay guys welcome back to grand america show we are gonna be chart chatting even chart no charting i don't think we'll do any charting this episode maybe next week but we will be chatting with Dr. Dr. Narco Longo. Uh, Old World Florida. You guys might know him as Old World Florida. To talk about, uh, what are them big rocks called again? Uh, the Saxon Stones? Sax- Saxon Stone, isn't it?
2: Sa- oh, shit. I think, I, yeah, it's Saxon. I think you're right. It's Saxon, isn't it? I better change the, sh- the show notes here.
0: Isn't it's... Saxon like a part of, isn't that like an English thing?
2: Yeah, it was Saxon, but I... I these might even be like spelled differently. I gotta now I gotta search it for but yeah, I mean it was more than that too. I mean I'm fascinated by the Tampa Bay part actually. Like, do you think that's why um Greg Carlwood moved there?
0: What? Cause No, I that's not why I moved there. You know I don't I mean? think so. I mean you'd have to ask Greg Carlwood. I don't want to speak for Greg Carlwood. But uh, my understanding is he just wanted to go somewhere where the politics didn't suck. Mostly the taxes didn't suck. Uh, Those two things. And still didn't have winter. It really doesn't. (laughs) Well,
2: what was, well, doctor was saying something, Narco was saying something about like the temperature doesn't get hot either there. So it's sort of like, I guess it's. I find that. I know, but it's maybe very humid, but I guess it doesn't get like. Super, super hot because maybe it's right on the coast and the wind or something. Um,
0: so is it just the Tampa Bay itself? Doesn't he,
2: he, there's a couple cities he mentioned, and I don't know if it's on our show or another show where they don't get over 100 degrees. Like it just, which to me I think of Hawaii because Hawaii always seemed to be to me like between 80 and 90 all the time, all year round. You all know, right, all, all, time all, time all, time. all
0: right, get this. All right, so Florida's average monthly. Monthly annual average temperature: January, uh, fifty-nine point three Fahrenheit, fifteen point two Celsius. That's sort of the low. And August and July are your high months, coming in at twenty-eight point one Celsius.
2: What are you gotta say is that and that's eighty-five point six. That's what eighty-two point six. Oh, it's only
0: eighty-two. Wow. Yeah, so it's not. But that. that's averages. So that's averages. Fuck. Yeah, I mean it's hotter than twenty eight point one half of the time, but dude, it's hotter than that here half the yeah. time. Yeah,
2: yeah, yesterday was brutal. brutal. Actually, and it was it felt a bit muggy here too yesterday. It didn't even cool down at night last night.
0: That's yeah, we're, we're talking. I the Alberta average temperature. So Ain't gonna say shit. That gives you the high and the low. So it's no. This is not helpful.
3: But
2: yeah, I mean, I like the whole thing about the Tampa Bay hurricane blessings and just that, and just thinking of that as the crystal sea, like that whole Gulf was, was more protected. And I mean, imagine that Gulf, like there's not many inland sort of areas that would have been so protected and so sort of glassy. Like it would have been an interesting.
0: Like the Mediterranean
2: area back then. (laughs) Yeah. But the Mediterranean is too big. I think for that,
0: you know, it's, it's, it's much bigger than the Gulf of Mexico.
2: I think it is. It still gets pretty rough there.
0: I think it's smaller.
2: No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I always did. Dude, it took me two day a day and a half to go from Crete to Haifa by ferry. So, um, all
0: right, I'm I checking. Think two, I think it was two days even. C area. Okay. Oh Yeah, it looks more yeah, like five million square kilometers. That's the Mediterranean Sea.
2: Is it the old Gulf or the new Gulf?
0: Is it post younger Dryas? Well, you're right. It's only 1.6 million, so it's actually it's about uh, 50 percent bigger.
2: Well, on Google Maps, it looks like pretty close. So, anyways, it's obviously a different shape. It's like a round bay compared to a complete like an oblong thing.
0: But I mean, Gulf of Mexico could get pretty rough. No.
2: Well, yeah, now, but, I mean, I think he's talking about it being, like, back then, it would have been, like, like glass. Because it would have been That's smaller windy. with
0: the, what? Even when it was windy?
2: <laughs>
0: well, I mean, of course not. but
2: Like, look, just but to show you. Saying it, saying
0: it wasn't going to be smaller, though. It was the same well, size. N- no, like, all. possible unless it was a lake. He also said that he thought it might be a lake.
2: Well, he says all this was would have been showing right after the before the the increase in sea level, all that like the right next to Tampa Bay actually, right? And then this, so so it would have only been this sort of part, and it would have been completely protected over here, right? See how it would have, you know.
0: Where's Tampa Bay? Right here. That'd have been like right in the middle of the. Yeah. So why would you add rocks there to tie boats to? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, depends on how old they are, but I guess if it's like this, it was after Younger Dryas, and people come right in with their boats, right? Right in here. That's what he's talking about, about the shelter, but there's old Tampa Bay there. And...
0: Oh, wow, well, that is a real sheltered sort of thing, but I yeah. got to think that would almost be non-existent pre-Younger Dryas.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, eh, because I, I just didn't think Tampa, I didn't think much of Tampa like that. I always thought of sort of Miami,
0: I didn't even know Tampa wasn't on the other side. It never occurred to me that there were cities on the on that side. yeah, I've never been to Florida.
2: I've been a couple times. What I remember is you couldn't have cold showers. like the water just doesn't get cold.
0: That's what Bill said about Georgia when he came yeah. to Canada. That was one of the big hots. <laughs> yeah. God damn, that water gets cold
2: <laughs> i was I was in my biohacking days when I was there. I went for that cruise and I couldn't even do cold. You couldn't even like have a cold shower in Florida. You'd have to literally get the ice out.
0: That's a shame. I mean, here we don't have the problem. It does get kind of not super cold like right now, but it's still pretty cold.
2: I like, I like how we talked about the box saga too. He's, he's kind of a proponent of that. I mean, we should have had that. We missed our chance to have that older fellow on before he passed away a couple of years ago. They tried to, they contacted us again and I just, I kind of dropped the ball in the scheduling, but I got the book. You pass away now? Yeah. That's what I mean. I, yeah, we, we lo- I lost that chance. Where you go, Graham because it's up. interesting now they talked about how the finish had no wars like apparently back then there was no wars or anything like that there was no conflict going well, way way back i don't know if i agree with their timeline but definitely interesting
0: all right well what do you got for us what do well, you I mean doing? you're well i mean up. you're ready to go i don't have
2: anything personal to, to, talk. to talk about i just got like some ufo stuff to talk about i mean it's
0: Still like so sick of the hey, UFO. Twitter. What? It's a distraction.
2: Okay, so Bruce Fenton, one of our friends, one of our, our Bruce um, Fenton. Bruce Fenton, he's like all over the UFO thing now, right? He's just on X. He's all over X. What's X? Twitter.
0: Oh, Twitter. <laughs> so did I like you say Twitter? What? Did I what?
2: Did you see the um Oh, the Hubble Blue about the, the aliens that the that they found that the scientists apparently said were were aliens and then people are like, that's not aliens. That's like
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. obviously it's not an alien. I mean look at it. I feel like I'm just, just deja vu from the Richard Greer thing.
2: <laughs> Wait till I got a clip of him
0: I want to show you. How many clips do you have?
2: Well, Robin, just one. Robin said, here's the deal, UFO Twitter. Extensive analysis of the Nazca mummies indicated they're remarkably well-preserved, fully intact biological entities. No evidence of tampering or manufacturing was found. I'm sorry if that keeps you up at night, but you needed to hear it. Um, and, of course, there's a whole bunch of people saying, you know, that... Uh,
0: needed to hear what? Is he saying it's real?
2: Yeah. He, well, he's saying that the ones from uh, from the Nazca mummies are real. But I think that what happened, what now people are saying is, uh, let's do you see think what it's real. Let's see what Bruce says. Oh no. Did I just missed my,
0: do you, do you think it's real?
2: Um, I found it. Shit. I have to find the place again. Um, I, if I oh, mute oh. myself, does it mute clips?
0: I don't know. I'll refer to your judgment on this if you think I don't it,
2: I don't honestly, have a I don't I'll have an opinion. I, I don't true. have an opinion. It's it sounds like it's a, a fake to me. It sounds like it's a joke. So is there Bruce it again like
0: the last guys a
4: little
2: Yeah, yeah. Bru- Did you see the cake meme where somebody <laughs>
0: took a slice out out of it says meme. it's cake. I see one where it's Joe Biden.
2: Yeah, yeah. He says uh, Bruce Fenton says Peruvian Culture Minister Leslie Ortega" has questioned how the specimens, which she said were pre hispanic objects, left Peru and says a criminal complaint has been filed, so some people are saying like there was really three or four entities, but these two were not the real ones, and they were stolen out of peru without uh without uh, notification to the the culture minister or something like that so if i yeah. if I mute. If I mute to will will my clip mute? Because I gotta reset my clip for a second. Uh, I don't know. If or I look. can just drag it back when you're ready to go.
0: Ready to go. You want to so, play a
2: clip. So you wanna I mean you you're not gonna believe this. So try me. Yeah, this like <laughs> so where so Bruce Fenton says here, just when you thought things might get back to normal in, in terms of like UFO Twitter or ufology, right? Listen to
4: this. So what I'm also working on with a group of people would be the enforcement part of it. Now, what I'm about to say is a little spooky. In fact, it's terrifying. But I've been asked to um, assist with a team of people who have the means Mm -hmm. upon authorization to basically take over all of these illegal black sites, corporate and military um, and but they can't do it without having actionable intelligence. So one of the things I'm putting out through your show and every other show I'm on is that we need more and more of these whistleblowers who know precisely where the materials are stored, where the man-made Raytheon, Northrop, Boeing, Lockheed devices are being built, um, where the ET bodies are located, where the underground base entrances are, So this is what we've been collecting for 30 years. We need more and more detailed information because I'm handing that off to both people with the Pentagon, White House and the Congress. Um, And ultimately, that data is going to be needed in order for them to get any of this under control if there isn't voluntary compliance. And as you point out, these people are so powerful, wealthy and arrogant and one of the points I made very recently to uh, Congresswoman Luna, who's who's heading up this effort in the House, along with Richette and a couple others. Um, when I had a meeting with her a couple weeks ago down in St. Petersburg, Florida, I said, look, you're not going to get this stuff by knocking on the front door <laughs> and saying, pretty, please, will you show me what you have? Right. Because if anyone who saw these hearings. I was watching it at a distance um and i because I already knew all the people who were going to be there uh I, mean, and, and I, don't, it, I
2: don't think we need to keep have them go on and on but uh just let me repeat that greer says he's working with a team of people to help enforce and take over illegal top secret sites that have non-human craft and technology i mean This would have been like the last guess of what's going to be next in in UFO Twitter. He goes on to say he needs more whistleblowers to tell him exactly where this exactly is. This top secret human and non-human technology is located. Wait, there's more. He says he had a meeting with the rep and told her that they needed specific information and locations where to search this top secret tech. And they will also need law enforcement or a SWAT team. And he says, I don't even know where to begin with this clip.
0: Uh, What do you think? That's good. I like it. I don't like uh, Richard so much, but I I wish he wasn't involved.
2: Well, isn't it good that he's the one, like, isn't it funny that he's the one, like, taking it to this level?
0: No. (laughs) I don't think it's, I don't think funny is the word. should be
2: the new NASA, the new UFO NASA director. Did you hear that NASA named the new director of UFOlogy, basically? NASA? 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 What, how is it? What, how do I say it?
0: NASA? NASA? You say NASA. NASA. Like, NASA. So, everyone's all in on the UFOs now.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they're all in it. Just, like, people are just getting frustrated. They're getting the runaround, and, you know, people that have known about this stuff for decades, are now they're just the government stalling, and nothing's Nobody really cares. happening. And Nobody
0: what? cares. I mean, it's got to be, that's going to be a bit of frustration. The people don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares. I Nobody mean, believe. even like you UFO dudes are like half like, yeah, you know, kind of, I could go either way. And the people like me are just like, who gives a fuck? And like, you know, most people don't even know about it. You know, it's like my kids are coming over to school. Like, Dad, you hear about the alien? Oh, hasn't come up. Well,
2: out. okay. That's weird because I was talking to two kids today who are like 14 and 18. And they're asking me questions about, about aliens. Do they come here from other planets? Do you think they're out there? I mean, I think they know They know me. They too. were primed you
0: know, for you. They were primed, they were so but still, like, it was pretty cool. Like Uncle Graham's coming over. He's a little <laughs> weird. <He's got laughs> UFO stuff just to, you know, make him feel feel welcome. They were primed to ask you UFO questions. I'd be curious if they have... Or they just know, like, the UFO guy's coming over. Alright, let's see what he's got. But I don't think it's like going around a high school, do you? No.
2: There's no way. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And they're more curious. They're not scared about it. They're just curious. Scared about it? Who
0: would ever be scared about it? Well,
2: dude, that's what people think. Who? That humanity's going to be scared that there's other, you know, people traveling from other solar systems or
0: whatever, other, you know, dimensions. I don't think that's scary. I don't think it's happening. To be perfect here, <laughs> I don't think it's scary either. If if it was happening,
2: it's been happening.
0: Has it? <laughs> I mean, you have whistleblowers that say they talk to some people that say they saw some stuff. Why do you think? Why do you think? Yeah. I don't want to. Ma- because Grush ain't saying he's seen shit, is he? I mean, no, but what, this, forget Grush. I
2: mean, talk? we all know from an occult magical perspective, like things can be summoned whether uh, they're angels and demons or extra dimensional entities or archons or whatever, like there's stuff out there.
0: So is it, it's nothing that any of these quote unquote whistleblowers have actually said per se. It's just the fact that they're talking about it on the television. Um, or is it the whistleblower?
2: No. Cause I dude, I Greer's whistleblowers are different, right? I saw that two hour thing with a hundred.
0: I 1. 5 million whistleblowers are quite different. And I've heard that. <laughs> Greer likes to blow little whistles himself.
2: (laughs) I knew that was coming.
0: (laughs) That reminds me, we should have Brooks Agnew on the show.
2: They were direct. They were direct witnesses. They weren't just like rushed talking about what he had heard from other people. Like they were direct witnesses. I mean, dude, one guy came across a a
0: trafficking operation with a flying saucer. A flying saucer trafficking operation? Yeah, drug trafficking or a child? No,
2: like drugs and humans.
0: And UFOs?
2: Yeah, dude. This is the, this is the, like, what a better one. Like, just what a, you know, the breakaway civilizations trafficking with saucers. I mean.
3: <laughs>
0: Worst apocalypse ever. <laughs> How many kids can you fit in a UFO? Infinite? How is yeah, like, it was
2: just an interdimensional, larger space, in and yeah, once you that's go that's in right. the door, it like opens up Seems to a like huge a room. Small,
0: but people just keep piling in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a clown car. Yeah, the ultimate clown car.
2: So what's going on with you? You're hunting again. You, you were telling me about this that's this season. experience, I'm and I'm like, dude, you got to save that for the intro because.
0: Which one, the bow hunting? Yeah, but what? Well, so what are you bow saying about ducks? Here. I didn't get one, and I didn't get one this year yet either, but I got, uh, you know, I might have, I definitely have one more day to try and maybe two if I'm lucky. So
2: I missed what you said. So you said, uh, what was the animal again?
0: Well, duck season opened, so I've been shooting a lot of ducks.
2: Yeah. But you were talking about getting one one?
0: Ducks this year. Um, An antelope? Antelope. I've shot a lot of antelope with my gun.
2: But you're bow hunting with my bow yet. So you're bow hunting with a, what do you call it, a decoy or something like that?
0: With a decoy, yeah. I tried hard last year, too, to get one with the bow, and I didn't get one. It was a little early in retrospect. I think I was like three weeks, at least Ah. two and a half weeks early. I only really got one shot off, but now they're rutting pretty hard. They should be rutting even harder in the next, like, six to nine days. So you can you
2: explain how this works? Like you go out there with a deep, like this is a decoy, like a, like a life size. Like what, what is it? Is it, it's not like, it's not your buddy dressed up as one. Is it?
0: No, it's like, uh, I use a Montana decoy. So it's like, it's almost like a tent, like material. It like coils up like a tent, like, you know, them pop up tents that you yeah. like touch down to get them back in the container. Those yeah. Just pop up. It's kind of like that, except, uh, it's an antelope, but it's like, it's on this canvas, like, which is extremely vibrant and lifelike. Like, dude, you put that thing up and go a couple hills over. Even if you, like, for you, if you came around a corner, and that thing was set up, you'd be like, holy fuck, there's an antelope. I mean, you figure out pretty quick that it wasn't off. an antelope. Yeah, something's off, but it really stands out. I don't know how they managed to do that on material, but it really stands out. You can tell. So it works well. So you just hide behind this little. So you actually hide behind the thing itself, too? It's like a half inch or maybe an inch thick. with an antelope on each side of it. But they have weird eyes, you know. In some ways, they have very good eyes, but in other ways, they have bad eyes. I don't know. It would be interesting to spend a day looking through an antelope's eyes. I don't believe anything. You know, you read stuff on the LDSU like this. They say, well, how do you know, motherfucker?
2: (laughs) So how do you, so are you saying there's two decoys and you, and you stand behind them, like a cover, like you're in the cover?
0: I just walk with it in front of me.
2: You walk with it in front of you?
0: Behind me with my bow holding the decoy in front of me. And then you see one and stop. And if he doesn't run away, you'll see. And then maybe you stop and I'll take like, I'll walk 30 or 40 yards and stop, set the decoy down and, look at them from behind the decoy with my binos because they don't have real good eyes. You know, that the the other antelope stands out. And usually if they just see any sort of movement, they just run. That's how they deal with it. They don't have any real predators. You know, they run like a motherfucker from everything. Right. I think there used to be some sort of North American cheetah that chased them around.
2: Maybe it was the dire beavers way back when.
0: Something. Some sort of...
2: uh, The dire wolves.
0: Some sort of... Pre-diluvian, what are they called? Megafauna. Some old megafauna used to hunt them fucking things. I heard it was supposed to be some sort of big cat, like a North American cheetah, because they're the fat. And I think that's what hunts them in Africa. Yeah. So they're fast as fuck.
2: So, but when they come right on you, like, are you shooting the thing with the arrow head on, like, or you're trying to get it head no, on, or?
0: you're trying to wait? Then you gotta like, you want it to turn sideways.
2: You you when turn it's, sideways. It's the
0: operation. No, you want it to turn sideways.
2: Okay. And how does that, how do you get that to happen?
0: You know, just hope for the best. You, you hope, hope you want turns- to charge up and start like strutting back and forth maybe. But I mean, this one came up too quick. It went from like 150 yards to like 55 fucking fast. I'm like, just like still trying to get, you know, let off a shot and it went over its back.
2: So your bow, because you're trying to get your bow ready while it's in that range, like
0: yeah, I think I set it to 55, but maybe he ran into 45. That might be why I missed him. It all happens fucking fast, you know. I needed a little to- more time. I needed a little more time. I think, I think what I'm gonna do next time is maybe, but it, it's hard too because you're out in the open prairies. So
2: yeah, yeah,
0: just get miles to run the decoy. And maybe if I could, we can find a spot with some sagebrush that I can sort of, or maybe I just walk along about right behind Miles with the decoy.
2: What would happen if they came right at you, like, and didn't notice that you were there even? Would they attack, would they po- poke you? Like would they? I
0: don't know. That'd be, that'd be weird. I mean, I would just fucking tackle the fucking thing that would break its neck. That'd be quite the experience. I fucking took it on an antelope with my bare fucking hand. Yeah, Choke it out. Good. Get it and choke. Fucking suck it yeah. ass.
2: Take it for a ride.
0: They're pretty small. I mean, you'd just be torturing the poor little thing. Yeah. But I'll try again. I might get one yet this year. Once they're not rotten, then they won't come into the decoys anymore. Right,
2: right, right, So really, you only have like a two or three week period to use the decoys in this sort of scenario then?
0: Yes, correct. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's super cool. You'd really get a kick out of it. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. They're like charging, they're scuffing the ground, and they're literally like, you're you're playing with the animal. Which is what we mm-hmm. did with the elk this year, too. That's what duck hunting is really like. Like, when we're duck hunting, there's a guy out on the point watching for flock to go by so you can get on the call, and you got a bunch of decoys out. And you trick these flocks of ducks to come in, and like flocks of fucking, you know, so anywhere from two to fifty.
2: Why? How are they coming in? Why would they come in if you call them? Like, what are they What are they coming well, in we for? Have, we
0: have, like, 30, 40 ducks on the water, fake ones. You got 30, they 40 fake ducks. They see all the fake ducks, and they think that's a nice, safe spot to go land. Someone's already done the homework. We can go land there. Oh, my
2: God. Really? That's what they're just looking for, a safe place to land? And-
0: Sometimes, dude, there's, like, 50 ducks in the air, and everybody's just like, holy fuck. Just fucking shooting shotguns, like, fucking nuts. I'm already into probably, we got 14 the first night and like 18 the second. And I think we got another 18 yesterday. So we're already into like 36, 50 ducks already this year and three or four geese too. And so it's, it's not a whole. Yeah. I see it, you mean, grade, it could be easy. We could do 200, 300 ducks this year. Between the, you know, there's three or four of us sometimes. There's always at least two of us. Sometimes there's four of us on Saturday. But my goal is to get 50 ducks in the freezer so I can have ducks twice a a month. Yeah. Duck season can get short around here. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, we'll only be able to hunt these ducks for another few weeks and then they'll start getting cold and they'll start migrating, which is great. But then sometimes here it either stays too warm and they don't migrate. So then these local ducks either get, you know, shot to shit. So they start to get super, super apprehensive about everything. I mean, how these ducks react to decoys at the start of the year compared to the end of the year is completely different. Wow. They're not stupid. I mean, I feel sorry for these fuckers down in Florida and Louisiana, the ones that are taken my duck, you know, because they f- go ahead and south. The season starts here. We're the first people hunting these ducks and I shoot the shit out of them, and then they go down to fucking Wyoming, someone else shoots the shit out of them, and then they go down another... You know, they're just getting... By the time they get down there, they're smart. They're, they'll be a little more on the ball.
2: Wow, interesting.
0: It's the funnest kind of hunting, I think. I mean, it's all fun. It's all great.
2: But I see how these... Like there's a lot of
0: trigger time. You know, there's a lot of... And the calling the elk, and that's all fun. The strategic stuff's fun, but duck hunting is like, Dude, I'll go out and shoot fucking 60 rounds in a day, you know, to go get to go shoot a dozen ducks, fucking go shoot. You pull the trigger 50 times, you know, just boom, boom, you're shooting. It's fun. I mean, it'd be nice if I was shooting a little less, but I'm taking long shots and flyovers. You know, we're just having a time, just hiding out in the blind. I got my weed. I got my fucking coffee here. I got my spits. I can have my phone. You know, I can even, I could even be listening to a little, uh, podcast or something if i wanted to but usually it's kind of like a social thing but we're not quiet till there's ducks coming in you know what i mean it's not like hunting hunting when you're with me you know where we're like quiet and creeping around the whole fucking time yeah yeah and you just shut the fuck up and this duck is a different thing i mean you go out there some guy's blinds got a we were talking about just bought, pitching in 50 bucks each and getting a camping or just to throw on the other side of the island in the trees. So we got a little toilet out there. If you were oh, a farmer, oh, you could be crushing beers out there. You know, it's that kind of hunting. It's very much hanging out in the blind, shooting the shit. Here comes some ducks. Bah, 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 bah. Get them, get them, get them. <laughs> and then there's some shit you don't want to shoot. So, whoa, whoa. I mean inevitably some sandpipers get shot here and there.
2: Oh, like, I you're see.
0: Flying in around the corner too fast and you're fucking everybody's trigger happy. Dude, last Friday opening day, in the last 10 minutes I went through fucking 35 fucking shells. Shot two geese and like six ducks and like in the last 12 minutes a light. Just nonstop. You can't load the fucking gun fast enough to shoot the shit. It's fucking something else.
2: I I I can't picture it because I feel like once you should take the first shot, I mean it must empty out the whole pond. I mean I don't get how
0: I don't so get how you still have time. Lake. to. We're in a giant like we're the, right where we hunt is like the edge of a lake. So there's like this whole lake, and then you get other hunters out there, and there's thousands of ducks. It's weird, I know, but, you know, but I mean, you'd it's think crazy you're shooting them up all morning, and they just keep coming. But they're yeah. all flocks. Right, right. They're like, those ones weren't there when when you were shooting. You know what I mean? Right, okay, There they were.
2: So once you shoot, though, like, the ones that 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 are there disappear. Okay, okay.
0: But it takes them a minute because they're they're heavy birds. So, like, especially geese, once they're coming into land to get going again, is fucking, you know, they just, like, stop in the air for a second. Oh, okay. And even the ducks, they're swooping in, and you start shooting, but then they got to start flapping their wings like a motherfucker again (laughs) to get going, so it takes takes a minute. It ain't easy. Dude, I miss more than I hit. If I'm shooting well, it's 50%. Because they're coming in. I mean, that's why you shoot skeets, right? I don't know if that's why. I just assume that's why. But I'm assuming that's how skeets came up, is for people practicing shooting ducks. Yeah, because you're trying to shoot a duck. Like we're doing a lot of cross shots, so you've got a duck fucking flying in across you. You know, it's got to be doing twenty but miles. You,
2: are you using it, the it, same uh, gun there as you would if you if you snuck up on a bunch and they were all trying to fly away, like with a shotgun blast, like
0: shotgun blast. Yeah,
2: you, no matter you're always using that.
0: It's illegal to hunt ducks with anything but a shotgun. Oh, okay. You might be allowed. Maybe, no, I don't think you're even allowed. I mean, I, maybe you could, there's an exception for archery, but I don't even know about that. I don't want to see how you could hunt ducks with a bow and arrow. Seems fucking crazy. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: I think you'd want to, like, net them or something, maybe. I mean, you could do it if they were on the water and you were really good with a bow and arrow and you had a canoe or something. I wonder how the Indians were getting ducks. They were definitely getting them. The Lakota had a couple months named after geese for the spring migration and for the fall migration because it was a giant food source for them. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Well, thanks for the hunting tales.
0: Yeah. Is that it?
2: That's all I got, yeah.
0: I got to go Montana in the morning to see Randall Carlson and the Snake Bros and Ben from Uncharted X, Oliver. It's gonna be a trip, It'll be a fun time.
2: Oh yeah. yeah,
0: Mike. You guys have a good time. A couple of these guys that have been out for a, lot, a bunch of trips yeah.
2: now. Yeah, that'll be great. Awesome time.
0: It'll be a good well, trip. I'll check back in next week and, and let you guys know how it went.
2: Yeah, have a good trip and see you next weekend.
0: All right, guys, enjoy the chat with Doctor Narco. Do you have a bio? Oh no, I don't. All right, Enjoy the chat, Doctor Narco Longo.
2: Longo, thanks for joining us. This has been uh, a long time coming for our listeners and uh you know you made you made quite a quite a bunch of waves there a little while ago with your uh with your channel and people are loving your work. So welcome to the show.
5: Thank you, man. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate you having me.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you're you're like a the Florida man, right? Well, actually I shouldn't say the Florida man. That's pretty <laughs> That's... Um, but, uh, let's, I mean, where do we want to start? Let's start like really like an overall kind of like picture of where your research has kind of led you. And then we can dig into some of the details from there, you know, like we like to talk about kind of Atlantean stuff and alternative hist- history, timelines, stuff like that. We had like, you know, Jason Brashears on and Randall Carlson and like sort of a lot of younger dryest type things. We do events with Randall Carlson. So we go around like looking at the stuff physically, um, we love we love that kind of stuff but you you seem to even take it sort of a little bit further even. So
5: Well, you know, uh I appreciate I appreciate the setup with that um I always like to say American history, as we know it, North American, um United States history, as we know it begins in Florida. But what you're going to get is Most history books start off with Virginia or one of the English colonies. And Florida usually gets swept under the rug. (laughs) And I think there's a big reason to that. And whether it's Atlantis, whether it's who was here before Columbus, there's many different angles and why they would lie and why they have. But Florida was the first land that these world powers really sunk their teeth into. terms of the united states around 500 years ago but
2: so like saint augustine type thing when they when they officially kind of isn't that one of like the oldest officially the oldest sort of areas where they came
5: yeah saint augustine is officially there's a little bit of debate on that with a couple florida cities but the oldest continuous european settlement in the americas so you know most First grade should kind of are there in, in my eyes, but it doesn't. And you get a lot of stories. A video I have coming out soon, for example, shows how not only was Florida um, being explored first, but f- stories from Florida were getting fully plagiarized and transmitted, transplanted on to Virginia, translated into English and passed off as English um, feats. Wow. And the main example of that would be who's heard of Pocahontas, right? Pocahontas and John Smith and later uh, uh, Rolf or whoever she got with after that, um, she had a husband. But before she was with John Smith, she saved him from slaughter, right? That was in Virginia, the Powhatan, Powhatan uh, territory. And the story goes that John Smith, the Englishman, was saved from certain death after being surrounded or captured by the Powhatan. And Pocahontas, this Indian princess, intervened, right? And, you know, this this isn't something I focus on a ton, but like I said, there's a video coming out about it um, because it has to do with hurricanes. And this is one of the origins of these hurricane myths in Florida, which... The way we're told it in Disney, remember anything that makes it into Disney is probably, uh, something to you know check twice on. You've got the very Chinese looking Pocahontas in Virginia, saving the English speaking John Smith. Whereas that actually never occurred. It simply did not. It is known that she married Pocahontas. The real Pocahontas would have gotten with, uh, I forget his name, Dolph or Rolf, I forget. But, um, her, you know, second European love was the one she married and had a kid with. But John Smith, who she potentially saved, no, no, no. John Smith had heard that story around early 1600s. After the De Soto expedition had came back and you know made the rounds, the word of it made rounds throughout Europe, and the English started plagiarizing stories straight out of it. And one of the key ones was that Pocahontas myth. So they took a, they took a prominent Native woman in Virginia, embellished the story with an even more impressive story that occurred in Florida, and uh, you'll see where this came from. Where the true occurrence was Juan Ortiz being saved at the hands of Princess Ulysses. Daughter of Hirahigua, which just might be where we get the word hurricane, and this was turned into the Pocahontas story. So that's just one example where the English were not only not only are they trying to hog American history, but they were plagiarizing it from the world where the Spanish had been.
2: I mean, I, I think Sorry. I know the an- I think I know the answer because it's the same reason why they're calling Graham Hancock a white supremacist. But why 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 do they not? want it want it to be true like that. Why not just give Florida the credit for all that?
5: Right. Well, you know, not to go into the deep end too soon here, but it probably does point to something like Atlantis. Or you know, a more reasonable stepping stone to that conversation was who was here right before Columbus. Yeah, yeah. Who had Columbus just just gotten done? Who had the people who were funding Columbus, the people Whose ships he was sailing? Who had they just finished fighting in a series of wars for hundreds of years? The Moors of North Africa and Iberia, and these people were expelled right around the same time that Columbus left for the Americas. Columbus wasn't fitted for a spice spice trading; he was fitted for, you know, expedition conquest. Right, and um that that tells you yeah. something right
0: there. there was the blacks, and that's why there was a bunch of black slaves here, so we thinking that those were the people that became the slaves instead of, cause it don't make sense to put to to you know put black people back and forth on boats from Africa if you're gonna lose half of them, cost mm-hmm. a bunch of energy to do that when you had a bunch mm-hmm. of Indians here that you could have done that with, you know why not exactly. just them so. It seems to be that there might have been some, I think it was Hotep Jesus we had on, I was talking about maybe some blacks in those West African currents sort of head right through the Caribbean and into Florida and all that. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, You've got the Gulf Stream, and the, I think you summed it up well, Darren, but you've got the Gulf Stream there, which is like a ancient, well, it's not ancient, it always has been, there always will be. It's a warm water highway that goes around the Atlantic and kind of the, the engine, what, what makes this thing circulate is the Springs pumping out of Florida and the Mississippi depositing into the Gulf of Mexico. And this is considered kind of the, um, the, uh, like the am- amniotic fluids of the planet, because this Gulf stream plays a very crucial role. In many mythologies of the planet, and including the Finnish, which I, you know, exalt as potentially the highest on the planet, um, mythology that is Finnish mythology, because from Finnish, you get Phoenicians. So when you're up there in the Arctic Circle, you get Finnish people and Vikings. When you come down south, you get Phoenicians. Now they'll spell those two words with as many letters as they can differently for the average Joe not to realize they're the same. Phoenician, the P-H-O-E, Finnish with the F-I, right? Well, I'm not the first to figure that out. You have Connor McAdari, you have um, Michael Sarian, and blah, blah, blah. People were going across the Atlantic for, for hundreds of years, thousands of years. The Phoenicians, their predecessors, people who came after them, the Moors, the Irish, the Vikings. You know, mainstream is just just in the last 20 years was acknowledging the Vikings came to the Americas. Right. But every year we're seeing this where they're pushing the peopling of the Americas. That's something we can get into, too, is why would they lie? Here, you know, Well, here's probably a better answer to that. Well, they have our human history kind of pinned, pegged in this little sandbox out in an extremely contentious, politically you know, charged zone that's been draining tax dollars, blood, resources for thousands of years. This is the Middle East I'm talking about. Now, do you think how maybe it's convenient to convince all the Abrahamic faiths that there is only a small little patch of territory that all of their stories occurred in? Therefore, all those religions could never fit inside that small land, so they'll always be contending it. Forever, this is why we have wars in the Middle East. This is all you know. It's not rich in resources. If it was, it's when they were irrigating the rivers to a high high extent. And as soon as that stopped, it goes back to being what it is at its core—a barren wasteland. Now, when you tell someone, I'm not sure where you guys are at with uh, you know shape of shape of where we live and stuff. But <laughs> when you when you when you convince people. That they live on something inanimate or something dead, a rock, a, a lifeless marble in the middle of nowhere, floating in nothingness. That does something to the subconscious, right? Likewise, when you instruct a group of well-meaning people, faithful people, that they are, their origin is in perhaps the most desolate place in the world, that does something to them. That's the way I look at it. Now, when you look at the Americas, you have a lush paradox in many ways, not just in our resources, but in places like Florida. Truly, you could make the argument we have the best climate in the world. Places like Tampa Bay, it has never reached 100 degrees. Miami has only reached 100 degrees once in recorded history. That sounds like something that should be all over CNN and the news. And well, guess what? You know how many hundreds of people you'll have dying across the Midwest, Colorado. Why? Because it's going to hit 117 degrees in all of those states at least once this summer, right? That will kill someone dead in the street. Florida, however, heat heat stroke was unheard of before the 1920s, right? People, uh, it was the land of health. People were living past 100, well past 100 long before they started studying japan and the mediterranean diet florida was known around the world as the place to be for health whether it was the springs why would they lie you have resources like the springs you have the most desirable climate territory perhaps in the world just check the property values today if if you want to you know substantiate that see who's buying up the property um scientology has a little city block in Los Angeles, but they have an entire city in Florida, Clearwater, Florida, right up along the Gulf Coast, right up, right up along the bay. That many mystics will tell you is potentially the capital city. You know, Atlantis, some old world empire, some old world metropolis. Frank Hamilton Cushing went down through Florida. In the 1900s, early 1900s, and said, "This is an empire on par with the, on the Maya, the Aztec. They just built out of shell. Much of it's washed away, and they crushed it all up and made road out of it. So, um, you know, there's many reasons they'd lie. The springs—that's something you could talk about. The origin of mankind. You have think You have discoveries such as the Vero Man coming out of Florida. Vero Man came out." Um, like 1910, 1915 around there when Lucy and all these fraud, you know, BS discoveries were coming out. They found a real one and it was in Florida and the state archaeologist or state geologist of Florida. um, Sellards, forget his name. Sellards championed the idea that man was in the Americas, Florida. Hundred and fifty thousand years ago. Well, he got. And why was he saying that? Because they found human bones alongside mammals that they knew went extinct well past thirteen thousand years ago. And even if it were the very tail end of their their existence in the Americas, you'd have to put them back farther than the Bering Strait theory. So they had to rethink everything, so they swept it under the rug. Sillards got Sillards had to step down from his position. The hate was so extreme. It's just like 19, teens, 20s. And they found evidence that man had been in America. And there's been many discoveries since then. So that's another reason to lie. They have us fighting over the same uh, desolate wasteland, right? We're exporting our faith. You know, it's one thing to export your, your resources and money, but to export your faith to a place that has no meaning. People are very, very, uh, feel free
2: to jump in. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. Yeah. Grambling. Yeah. No, it's good. I, I, what, what are some other, what are some other things of evidence that have been found and covered up or that you've sort of found that, that would point to this being, cause it's, I mean, we, we love this topic and it's, but it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that America has this much history. Cause really we've been sort of brainwashed. Like when I grew up, I mean, I didn't think the whole continent of North America had zero history, right? Except for the colonialism and and all that, like the real, the mainstream narrative, you know, you had to go to Egypt to look for anything sort of special, but it's, uh, so it's really interesting to start hearing about all these, all this evidence coming out. And, and I mean, you've come across some real interesting things that really point to like very, very, very ancient stuff, like even pre, pre Atlantis, right?
5: Yes. We, so here, I'll we, pull up
2: what we think of Atlant- what we think of Atlantis.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll pull up something right here. Um, you guys want to see yep. some? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, tangible evidence that something was going on here thousands of years ago that the mainstream historians really have no no understanding of whatsoever. So here we've got got a folder here nice thank you yeah so these are what we call sacks or stones named for the man who discovered them realized their worth realized their significance and all across the earth where you would expect to find ancient maritime cultures you find evidence of ancient maritime cultures the principle being because boats decay and you know get repurposed and people build out of wood you know, washes away, things sink, you guys get it. Well, you know what didn't go away? What they find time and time again, it's the telltale fingerprint of a maritime society. Stone anchors, ancient stone anchors, usually limestone, not always, but board holes for rope to be fastened through them. And these on average would be about the size of a backpack like you see there large enough for two men to throw over the side of a ship and large enough to pull back up and ideally be able to pull up out of the water too because sometimes you leave things like drogue stones in the water we can get into that too uh we'll we'll spot the difference between a drogue stone and anchor a static anchor and a ballast stone as well but the reason I'm showing you this is we are not told that there was any substantial seafaring people in the yeah. Americas yeah. now there there might be you know I'm not taking credit away I'm just saying that's what they'll tell you, but I recognize there's many tribes, many people out there who were seafaring, but in terms of empire, in terms of industry, we're told that's not the case. There are stones in Florida which directly contradict this that show yes there was a great empire in the americas their center point seems to have been tampa bay gulf of mexico why it's the most hospitable place in the world you have three degrees of protection from the ocean florida is a natural breakwater the yucatan peninsula is a natural breakwater the gulf of mexico itself is substantially calmer then the Atlantic outside of it. Any fisherman in the Keys will tell you this. Go five minutes into the Atlantic and you hit chop.
3: <laughs> yeah.
5: go, go, go five minutes into the Gulf and it's glass. It's almost always glass. And this is why they called it the Crystal Sea in ancient Greek mythology. Um, and there's still today Crystal Beach and Indian Rocks Beach. That's what they call these anchors today, Indian Rocks, because the Indians worship them. The subsequent Indians, natives, might not have had the ships, but they recognized the valley of the rocks. They might have used them as mooring stones, but blah, blah, blah. This is a typical ancient stone anchor. You find these right where you'd expect to find them, where the Phoenicians were around the Mediterranean, where ancient sailors in the Pacific were, Austronesia, Polynesia, people with big boats who needed big anchors. And like I said, the Typical weight here would be 50, 300 pounds.
0: And these are found mostly on the east coast of America.
5: Well, according to main, according to academia, these are found nowhere in America. They're these don't go with America. Now, these are found in the Mediterranean all the time. That's probably where this picture is from. They find some in the Bahamas. They do, but they're small. They find a bunch in Florida that they put in the museums and they label as anchors but they're this big that you could fit in your hand any bigger than that they won't place them in a museum they won't acknowledge what they are because it opens a whole can of worms that is either going to uh you know result in a lot of rewrites or uncomfortable press conferences and stuff like that and this uh, I'll show you though. I'm just showing the the first picture here. We'll, we'll flip through and kind of see the magnitude of these, but yes, these are Darren. These are in Florida, the ones we're going to be looking at, but what we're looking at right here is a typical one. And all around the earth, you find typical ones. The biggest ones you find are, are um, actually at the top of Mount Ararat (laughs) where Noah's, where Noah's Ark is said to have landed, but we'll, we'll connect that in a little bit. So this you're going to see the ones in Florida are extreme, of extreme proportion. This is downtown St. Petersburg. Here. There we go. Downtown St. Petersburg. That's John Saxer there. He was printed in Ancient American Magazine. with. Um, they had Bill Donato come out an accredited archaeologist, come out and actually check out these anchors. I, I have footage of him detailing them in my Anchors of Atlantis documentary. And I've done two documentaries with John Saxer. if you want to see more on the stones. But Build an Auto clearly showed. They have the rope marks that are indicative of anchors, ballasts, storm drogues, they have the patina showing. Yes, six, seven thousand, if not more, years old, at least. And what consistent boring methods? Some people say, "Oh, there's uh, that could be a solution hole. That's a, you know, that's an uh, erosion pattern or something like that, or that's a tree growing through it." Now, none of those are true, but there are. Um, some people have their theories about how the holes came about. Well. On some rocks, we can show without a doubt consistently sized boring. But you, you can't deny it. Some of these rocks, I'll show you here.
2: But some have of my drill marks still, or
5: have been bored so clean? Um, you know, two feet through a boulder. You'll see here at the top. You see a little bit of a rope mark. Not sure if you can see my mouse, but yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, we can see it.
5: Rope mark there. This is, that, is I
0: meant what kind of rock is that?
5: The ones in Florida are about 90 percent limestone. They're all limestone. Like 90 percent of the rocks are limestone. Some of them, which shows that that's a really thank you for the, the, that um, question, Darren. It brings up a good point, because if these were a consistent um, weathering pattern? that shows up like a perfectly bored rock, we wouldn't find it across different types of stone. Now, while most of these are limestone, like I said, 90%, if not more, across Florida are limestone because that's what Florida is made of. You also find flint ones. They made them out of flint if they had it. And they made them out of coral too, which had to have been drilled. And you'll see some of these in the museums, but like I said, they're small. And then what there's the, also
2: what sorry, what is the mainstream explanation for all these? Or they, they, don't, say they don't have with
5: it? with the large ones, they don't they don't talk, they will not acknowledge them. Yeah. With the <laughs> with the small ones, I can show you. I'll have to pull it up. Um wouldn't
0: they uh-huh. have been a long way from from the ocean before uh before the
5: sea level ocean? rise? Yeah. Okay, now Tampa Bay. If if you're gonna look at sea level rise, Tampa Bay would have traced itself out along with that coastline out into the Gulf. However, modern day Tampa Bay, they believe, was a freshwater lake. When you had that extra um, patch of land in the Gulf for Florida seven thousand years ago, that's a good. That's a good point too. Is if we're talking Atlantis times, you would expect a deal of of sea level change.
2: Can I can I show yeah. my screen for a second? Sure. This is what I had up actually. While you're talking about Tampa Bay, I was just looking at. I love this uh, this newer view of uh, the layer on Google Earth or Google Maps here. Because hmm. look at look at this big. I mean, when if you're talking about the three or four hundred feet after after the flood, look, this would have all been that probably all would have been land, right? I mean. I don't know how deep mm-hmm. this is right now, but I mean, look at how the shape of this whole area would have changed.
5: Yeah. That chunk off the left side of Florida certainly was poking out of the water. You had mammoths, you have mammoth bones and things of that sort all across that left chunk right there. Now on the right, that's a little deceiving. That wouldn't have been poking out.
2: Oh, the Bahamas, right, this, yeah. This ridge here.
5: Yeah. 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 That would have been still underwater. But you, you have the Bahamas would have been sub, some more substantial uh, sized islands, but also um, Cuba would have made quite the impressive mountain range. And perhaps you would have only had a narrow band of, of entry into the Gulf, which would actually, in this case, make it right. more advantageous from a right. naval perspective.
2: Right here even, just in there, you mean, right?
5: Yeah. Pres- precisely. Yeah. yeah. And you've got you've got your ditch right there. What do they call that? The the uh the Cayman channel or whatever the ditch right there. That's very deep, that Cayman channel. Wow.
2: Yeah, I think that's I don't
5: know what they call it, but yeah, yeah. That's very deep. Could be terraformed. That's not really my territory, but um what you've got is you know, I've talked about some of the symbolism with the Q. And yeah, that's, that's the breadbasket right there, Tampa Bay. And that little peninsula right there is called Pinellas Peninsula, Pinellas Peninsula. I've actually theorized that it's named for the pineal gland because <laughs> yeah. it's shaped, shaped like the pineal gland. If you rotate it 90 degrees, it's precisely, and it used to be called penal before it was Pinellas
2: Okay, we're yeah. back to yours now. Yeah, thanks. I just wanted you to you to, to get mention that while we'll I had the map up.
5: Sure. Um, we've got here, not sure if this is a video, just a picture. This is one of the holes. That's just a little clump of dirt, but this is a perfectly bored hole. Perfectly, perfectly this is like drilled. There's no other way to say it. The the lips coming into the hole are are crisp. They're it's just a clean bore. No other way to say it. And if we look Maybe at they were, the tying,
0: others, were tying airships too.
5: That's a good. No, that's a. I don't think that's what they were used for, but Florida is a. was like the airship capital of America. Um, Opalaca, Opalaca, Florida, which is a Moorish city, top to bottom, is had a airport a skyport on it and believe it or not the nazis were touching down the graf zeppelin the graf zeppelin was landing there um regularly in obama florida and there are buddies with the seminoles so the seminoles have a sorry you're looking at a blank screen here but no that's okay so this rock if we look at the other side you can see it Board um, the other side.
2: You can see pretty hard, uh, pretty, pretty big marks there. Certain it almost,
5: almost looks like tooling marks, too. Yeah. You're right. Like a, a rifle board. And here's a substantial one. We call this one the sand dollar. This is the same exact size and shape arrangement of the holes, you know, uh, ratio of how thick it is, um, like a sand dollar. You find this in museums all the time where they were uh, pulling canoes up like this or tying off their canoes. Each of those rocks, sorry, each of those holes would have a rope. And what, what that would do, having two holes on a single anchor would allow the people in the ship above to shimmy it loose in the chance that it got stuck. So you'll see people still do this today with stone anchors, but they're just not as prevalent.
2: And being able to maybe have a bigger one, too, with two people pulling on it so that, you know, you might have – if the ships get bigger, then you need bigger anchors, probably.
5: Yes. Now, another side of this is, you know, probably where – this is archaeology. You know, you show people the rocks. You show their function. There's not much to argue with. But then they say, well, these are too big. These are simply too big. And that's kind of where build an stepped away, was Build-An-Auto who was an accredited archaeologist looking for evidence of Bimini, Atlantis and Bimini, he used a lot of these pictures, not these, these stones. He took his own pictures like uh, 20 years ago, but they showed that these were the largest stone anchors in the world. But then he said, well, this isn't Atlantis. He was like, Atlantis, they might've been tall. He's like, they weren't this big they weren't this tall he's like no one could have done these so he just shelved it and he came all the way there to look at them and he, he happily presented these pictures in his presentation as evidence that Atlantis was close to Bimini but then when it came to it explaining them in Florida he just never really cared and that's where John Saxer comes in that's why they're called the Saxer Stones After him, he's the only person who cared about these enough. There's another picture. That's one of the largest ones. And all of these show a rope mark hugging one side of the hole, if that makes sense. So, in terms of mooring stones, could these have been used as mooring stones by smaller people later? Sure, they could have. But where most of these were dredged out of, sure, they were. Underwater, or close to water, and then the sea level crept up on them. So these are always by the water. Many of these, many of these, come from the east coast of Florida. Many, much of the stone comes from the east coast. So someone had to bring them there to there, and they look like anchors. So they, they don't don't just
0: from the east coast to the west coast.
5: Yes. Many of these anchors were crafted from stone on the east coast of Florida. Formations on the east coast of Florida don't exist on the west coast, but we find them scattered across the west coast. So these stone anchors like this, sacks stones, you'll find them with the highest concentration in Tampa Bay. But being indicative of an Atlantean empire in the Caribbean, which is precisely what uh, Edgar Casey tells us which is precisely what everybody tells us if we know how to decipher The, the information it all points to the Gulf of Mexico. It's the circle protected um, it's, it's a series of bays protected within each other You have the Gulf of Mexico Then you have Tampa Bay within that then within Tampa Bay. There is a series of, of other bays so you have the lands The Zones of Water and the Zones of Land. Dennis Brooks caught on on to this. He didn't know anything about the anchors. Dennis Brooks is an author of Hawaii or something. He might be a Tampa guy. He wrote a whole book on Tampa being Atlantis because he studied the waterways and he studied the engineering of the city. And he said, well, the Army Corps of Engineers didn't cut those substantial canals. And then he looked at the Intracoastal Waterway of Florida, which is an intelligently carved out waterway that was originally fresh water that buffered the mainland from the ocean. And this is still here today. And it goes, yeah, it goes all the way from like Maine to Texas or Mexico, but the only place where where it's completely concurrent or where it runs all the way around is Florida. And you find this description both in Plato and I think it's more fleshed out by someone after Plato. But there was a canal or a great ditch. There was a protective um, ditch filled with water, a moat that covered a central peninsula. So blah, blah, blah. Florida's Atlantis. I'll I'll box Graham Hancock if I have to. I don't care. Um, you know, I'd love it if some of these people came and saw the stones, but all these people want to say, Oh, Atlantis is over here, it's over here. Well, everyone's focused on the city. No one can show me a smidge of the empire, a smidge of of the fleet. This is a naval fleet we're talking about, right? Not Troy, not not I don't see people digging in the sand for Atlantis. So if unless people are gonna show me anchors, boats, which we have substantially in Florida evidence of ancient large arc ships that precisely would have taken the Gulf Stream across the Atlantic, right where everyone agrees they landed or around Mount Ararat, and we have some cultural diffusion there on from 10,000, 6,000 years ago, depending who you ask, out of Central Asia. Well, what happened before that? Yes, everything after that happened in Eurasia. But is anybody going to analyze the discrepancies in the time and the navigational capacity of you know the ship they made and all this stuff? Why did it take 150 days for? And I'll stop here. If we're going to interpret any of this literally, then it has to hit every box. It has to check every box. I'm all about allegory. I'm all about metaphor. You know, I'm uh, I'm into it. Garden of Eden, you know, does it have to be a garden. No, but how many people around the world believe this is a tangible, physical garden, and they cannot show you a smidge to prove it, right?
2: So, so, so is is your is your theory then kind of like that that some of this stuff maybe in in North America, like Florida, and maybe South America was was first like some of the more ancient stuff, and then and then after. The flood or maybe even before the flood, but then it was more, it moved east as well. Like, is that, is that kind of like, are you flipping kind of the whole yes. timeline?
5: Now, it's not an, it's not like a narcissistic, like, Hey, over here. Like, look at, no, no, know, no, no. There's our, no. our credit, but I'll tell you this, the way that they won't give the credit due to the Western hemisphere, the way that all of history has been allocated to a small section in the East, tells me that yes it probably was original. If we looked to, to the work of E.E e. Calloway Florida's 1936 Republican candidate for governor, he said when you look at the mummies of Mexico they're not they're not um, mummified. they're just buried bare. When you look at the stonework of many of the finest uh, masonry structures in the Americas, they're of soft stone. These were not hard stone workers at least not not generally. So what does this tell us? What does this tell us? These things were done perhaps before man learned the art of embalming and mummification, before man learned the working of harder stones and metals, and perhaps it took, you know, a shuffling of the cards and a shifting of of culture from the West to the East to accomplish those things. But since we have certain ages showing up in the archeological record in Mesopotamia, our mainstream academia is hyper-focused on that. They're not giving the due to the Americas. And really, uh, (laughs) the anchors show this, the uh, bones like Vero man, Vero means truth, by the way, it's
2: a city in Florida. Vera Man shows this. <clears throat> so let's uh let's uh shift gears a little bit to the you sure. mentioned the Finnish, the Phoenicians, and all that. And and we had uh we had Jim Chesh- Chestner on uh about the box saga like in I think it was episode 206. So it was a couple six oh, seven years I? six seven years ago, maybe. Um is that is that sort of the box saga is what you're talking about? Um
5: well you know I, I'm does a it fit with that. It does fit with it. Now I I'm a lover of the box saga. I've I've read the box saga, I've heard it. I'm a believer in much of it. I think it's probably the greatest the greatest um well reserved reservoir of phonetic linguistic truth and uh you know, wordplay. And that's that's one of my main things. And so, yes, I'm a big supporter of it. However, I, I will have to disclaim the box saga, you know, lover. I'm filling in a lot of these gaps myself. I don't reference the box saga when I'm making a theory or anything. But where I really sucked my teeth into was the box saga places an extraordinary emphasis on the Gulf of Mexico extraordinary Um, with the Gulf stream. They say that all of the change that, that kind of triggered the salvation of mankind was the Gulf stream. And as they put it, a warm flow of water, intelligently divinely guided water that goes from the Gulf of Mexico up to Europe, up slips around into the, you know, into the, Gulf of Finland, and then voila, it, it kept a small pocket of Europe melted through, through the Ice Age. So yes, now they kind of take that and fill in a lot of gaps with Eurasia. Another thing that the Box Saga will tell you is that much of the record, if not all the record, of what transpired in the Americas after the Ice Age was lost. Not only to the mainstream, but also to the the uh oral folk traditionists, like the Bach family, so
2: compared to compared to European or Eastern Asia, compared to that, because it was so damaging in North America, like it was lost because of like physical damage yes, or?
5: yes that all record was lost because the empires that dwelled here. Were reduced to nothing, and their people perhaps were allowed to reproduce and repopulate, but there was no chance for for the information to persist. Now, granted, I'm not granted I'm not like a Central American wisdom keeper, so maybe those guys have some, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: totally, yeah. But I mean, even if the, the if the ice sheets weren't like covering all of North America, the flood definitely destroyed the lower part as well.
5: Mm-hmm. Now, according to the Bach saga, all of the northern hemisphere, most of it uh, was frozen very rapidly and much of it died, you know, ceased to exist. Whereas they they kind of vaguely say the 10 tropical kingdoms were there after the ice age. So that means different groups of people had to survive in different pockets, different areas around in uh, south of the equator. I'm assuming that that might not be the case, but south of the ice for sure is where you have pockets. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then, and then coming down the finish coming down to those 10 kingdoms or whatever, it's also in, in a lot of the, the myths of those kingdoms that the the people came down from the north, right? The Northern from Hyperborea or whatever.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've got books like Arctic home of the Vedas. Showing a not only everyone knows that Aryan culture came into India from the north, but not many people are willing to admit that it was the Arctic, the Arctic North, and that some of the features you find, the Viracocha, right, showing up in Peru, these these uh, ambiguously, you know, Arctic people, Arctic. Showing up with Arctic features, blonde, light skin, light hair, light eyes. And you get this in many different places. Now, is this an empire numbering in the, the thousands showing up? No. We never find that. And not unless we're talking about like the Eurasian steppe or you know sea battles or things like that. But in these these uh, these various seedings of civilization in different continents, you have a few. Teachers, a few people show up bearded, um, emblematic of the sun sometimes because of their coloring, um, where they came from, the east often, coming from the east to the west. Um, or if they're in the west, people coming from blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I am love the box saga. And I, I hope I can fill in any gaps with Florida. And some of the stuff I do, because, you know, Eeyore, I don't think he knew that Lake Worth, Florida, where the Gulf Stream comes closest to land today, to this day, has the most Finnish people outside of Finland.
2: Wow, that's interesting. So
5: Lake Worth, Florida is where the F- Gulf Stream comes closest to the mainland of America. And that's wow. why Donald Trump lives right there. That's on an, in a Moorish Palace. That's why you have different people. Living right there where the Gulf Stream scrapes up. That's the good energy.
2: Whereabouts is that on compared to like what's another city that is close to that I can
5: Palm Beach. Map? So Palm, Palm Beach, Beach Island yeah. is east up against the ocean. West Palm Beach is across a lake across the intercoastal. That lake is called Lake Worth. If you follow Lake Worth down a little bit. You get to a city, Lake Worth, that's also pressed up against Palm Beach. And this is where the Gulf Stream comes closest to land. So a little south of there, in you'll you'll find Gulf Stream, Florida. Gulf Stream, Florida, in between Delray and Boynton, just south of there. Right, right. <clears throat> you yeah, have Gulf Stream, Florida.
3: Interesting. So,
5: and what yeah. do the richest what are the richest people on, on Earth today drive around and fly around? And they're Gulfstream jets. They're GSs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a time old tradition.
2: So do you do you think what about the part um where the Finnish were like they started out dark and I guess they lived in the in the north in the Arctic for so long? They ended up mm-hmm. white and blonde hair yeah. blue eyes. I just heard that today. I was watching like a video that you had put an intro to and I and it sounded like the box saga to me. It sounded like some of those box saga mm-hmm. guys. Um it's been so long, it's been like six or seven years since I read the book. So I can't remember all the details. And I wasn't really even ready for that back then. Like, like I I couldn't really wrap my head around at all. But now after talking about this for so many years, it's like it it sort of makes sense. There's all that like there's the Agartha and the hyperborea and the the
5: uh I mean
3: there.
2: are
5: You've got your Assyria, Austr, yeah. Sumeria, Suomi. That's what the Finnish call themselves. That's that's one of my number. That's one of my number one. Uh, you know, kickbacks or not kickback that people, um, you know, send, send push stuff? Push, yeah. push back push back on as they say. Oh well, the Finnish don't even call themselves Finnish, and the Phoenicians didn't call themselves Phoenicians, So you're just grasping at straws, even though that word is the same meaning. Fine goods right fine goods but what you have is uh, um, the finnish call themselves what suomi suomi that means swampy right everyone anyone ever heard of swami Vivekananda? right the teachers from the north teacher swami means you're finish right you finished school you're graduated right um so suomi is where we get sumeria suomi area area suomi sumeria and nearby you have your assyrians with their big beards arctic suited for the arctic not for the hot desert right beards don't come from the hot desert beards come from lumberjack territory up near the where it's cold we need to warm the face now you asked a good question another another thing i get pushed back on is in the box i'll go this it's not me i just i champion the box saga the best i can you have um you have people saying well you know are you promoting evolution like did, did people just get pushed up into the ice and they evolved and they had no say in the matter no i don't think that's what happened either i think the box saga kind of glosses over it and lets you fill in a little bit of the gaps but scientifically white people can't just move to Africa and turn black, right? Black people can't just move to Iceland and turn white. Now, 10 generations, you might be a little lighter. Now, what I think was happening truly is they were selective breeding themselves, selectively breeding for traits that would be desirable in the winter. Now, if you're in a If you're an evolutionist, you could say that this is, oh yeah, they just went to the ice and the ones who had better traits kept, you know, better traits kept reproducing at higher frequency or presenting themselves better at higher frequency. So you could have it that way. You could have it that we selectively breed dogs to have blue eyes and light coats all the time. You can do this with the human. (laughs) Um, you can select it, read all you want, but you can't create a new species, so.
2: It also could be that the time frame is not even comprehensible to us. Like, it could have been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, or so far back that, that real yeah. evolution, like, you know, evolution might have taken place. Like, I, I have a hard time with the evolution as it's as it's sort of portrayed in the mainstream, but um the, but you know, this is. I think we're talking. There could be longer periods, like all through the. For example, all through the last ice age, you know, they could have been there through that whole thing.
5: Yes, I also, you know, something I differ with the, with the. Uh, I don't know if you could call it mainstream. It's not, certainly not mainstream, but like the the consensus of box saga, thinking is that we're working with like a fifty million, uh you know, time period, at least, well, I kind of shy away from that, um, or I oh. don't, don't necessarily buy into that in a wholly literal sense. Um, I think changes might have been occurring, and I think you have a folk-preserved family oral tradition passed down through the family. You know, how many characters have been for example, you watch an ESPN movie, or you watch uh, you watch a movie that's trying to do justice to real life, and they can't. You have to you have to make multiple. You know, where there are four guys helping solve a crime. Oh well, we can. You know, let's make it one character, and and we'll give them all those those guys best uh, qualities. Right, some things are done for the sake of brevity, for the sake of what do they call it? Um, Mnemonic like devices where, you know, they're speaking in a certain order. So, you know, certain things might be more conducive to how the story is told rather than how the history actually occurred. And I'm not trying to undermine the box saga. I'm just saying I have a hard time, you know, truly coming to graphs, coming to grips with the 50 million year timeline. And the way that they explain it, which is convenient is that they say, uh, Evolved, intelligent man on this earth, however long he lived here. Up until Ragnarok, or one of them, every single human was cremated. That's why you don't find anatomically correct humans back past a certain point in the fossil record, because they were all cremated. You could also look at it the same way today. They say chimpanzees. You know how many chimpanzees they found fossilized ever? It's like five, <laughs> not even. You know
2: and they're not creating they just... themselves.
5: Exactly. Uh, so either those things are new on earth, on the earth, or their habitat just simply doesn't make fossils. Yeah. Or which is true for many of the places humans live. Um. Who knows? But.
2: Well, I mean, I I like how Tolkien Tolkien took a lot of that Finnish. And I mean, I, I, I get mixed up in Norse and Finnish. Like, I don't really, I always think they're the same thing, but I don't think they are. But um, Tolkien really seemed to pull a lot of that mythology into, I think that's why fantasy in general, the whole genre, Tolkien especially resonates with so many people because he's talking about, you know, species of or i guess maybe races or species i don't know how you want to call it but Mm -hmm. dwarves and elves and giants and all that magic i mean all that stuff was was in a time it's in our sort of genetic memory from a time long gone that that's why it really resonates with us
5: do you want to get into giants a little quick here yeah
2: yeah yeah sure
5: um i've got here another file so we're looking at some big anchors, right? And yeah. that might, that might, those might leave more question marks than answers looking at stones like that. Well, if those were actually used, how utilities to them, it'd have to be big people, right? People like you and I, unless we had some type of, you know, chanting, cymatic frequency tech that could lift these things up and I'd assume they'd be shaped better if that were the case. Um, These were just big people. Now, in Florida, we find a lot of evidence of large, large people. Now, this evidence comes to us in the form of newspaper articles from about 1850 to 1950 were littered with stories of giant skeletons. Now, the mainstream will have you believe that these were all hoaxes, every single one of them, a hoax across the board.
2: We're only talking about a large human that's seven foot five or something like that.
5: Right. Now, giant is, I use giant loosely. Thank you for clearing that up. We're, we're describing the natives of Florida were, they towered over the Europeans. We know this for a fact, you know, this for a fact but the conquistadors were not that tall, but the natives of Florida towered above them about a foot and a half on average. Wow. Yeah. Tall. Well over six feet is, is the minimum, the bottom end of, of how tall these guys were. And that's across the board in Florida. The Tokabaga tribe coming out of Tampa Bay was said to have been seven feet. The Timucua out of St. Augustine area, Jekyll Island, Jekyll Island, you know,
3: yeah,
5: that that tribe who was doing sacrifice on some of those Jekyll Island altars, they were eight and a half feet tall. I mean, big, big, tall, muscular. These were not lanky freaks. These were athletic, athletic warriors. They were they were orators. They were great orators. The Spanish even say some of these giants gave speeches for ten wow. minutes that, that left. The Spaniards in tears. I Holy swear to shit. God, they say this. So they weren't they weren't brutes, they weren't freaks, they weren't circus freaks, they were esteemed leaders, philosophers, and you'd expect these people to be crafting things. And they had big ships. I can show you the wood. Um I can show you where some might have landed, where some might have been built. You know, I can't show you a ship, but we have the wood. We have some of the most buoyant wood in the world. And what is it called? The gopher wood. Gopher wood. That's a transliteration, not a translation from the Bible. Meaning gopher is not used in Hebrew, but it's in the original uh, Bible. uh, Aramaic Hebrew gopher or kopher. That had no translation in English. It had no meaning in Hebrew. They, they, They don't know what tree it is. The word gopher is never used in Hebrew again. And then what do you have? Gopherwood. The real tree grows in Florida. <laughs> Gopherwood. It grows in Florida where? Along a patch of land that is precisely oriented as the four rivers of Eden that were that were given, described to us in Genesis. But blah blah blah. What else do we have in Genesis? In The book of the generations of Adam, you have Genesis 6-4, I think. Um, There was giants on the earth in those days, right? Yeah, yeah. Mighty men of renown, whatever it says. Well, you get articles like this coming out of not just the Tampa Bay area, all across Florida. So
2: they're talking about, yeah, they're talking about big too, right? Not just seven foot five, but like. Fifteen feet, right? Sometimes even more. Fifteen feet, 20, 18 feet.
5: This, well, this one's nine. I think the nine, I think yeah. the, the biggest I've got in these articles that's like substantiated that that I take to the bank is right. like thir- thirteen
2: feet. Okay, okay, still. Um, but I mean, yeah. they would have to have big boats too, just for these big people, right? I mean,
5: I think a a nine footer or a thirteen footer could pass around that the that rock those rocks we were looking at. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be easy, but it would be like me and you picking up a fridge. We could do yeah. it, you know.
2: Yeah. That's fascinating. So, do you um? Do you think that the giant? Because the giant thing is always fascinating because it's there's so it seems to be there's so much evidence, but not enough to, to tip the scales or not enough for okay. people to admit it. Like, do you think people, cause there's all these pictures that people see too. Like, do you think this is something that could cr- crack things open? If somebody like found yes. I mean, cause you wonder yeah. why you're not allowed to go into the mounds anymore. Right.
5: Yeah. You bring up a good point. Now I put a lot of hard work into videos and I can tell when one's, one's going to do good. Right. Right. As best as, as you know, a creator can. I know when, when a video deserves, you know, you want to know the one video that I've put most effort into that got the least return, not that, not monetary or anything, but just, you know, uh,
2: yeah. The shadow band, the the worst.
5: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. That that's how I should put it. Shadow band, you know, I don't know why, I don't know what in it. I think I went after the Smithsonian a little too hard. That one. But that's has to be my, my most shadow banned video. Is the, the Giants, giants yeah. in Florida because it's it's conclusive proof. It's not just the articles. There's pictures. It's the accounts of every European that landed in the fifteen hundreds said they were tall as hell. Scary. Not only that, they the tree, the bows they used were thicker than a man's wrist.
2: The bows? Right
5: the bows they were wow. using were, were thicker than the wrists of of the men wow. of, that they were going up against they could shoot a bow accurately 200 yards on a rope like not not arced not, you know yeah. Not, yeah not arched or arced but they were they could throw an addle addle straight through a horse the you had this happening regularly in, the DeSoto expeditions, the DeSoto expeditions, they make no mention whatsoever of mermaids, sea monsters, any of this nonsense. You know what they do clearly, plainly report. Chief Tuscaloosa standing 10 feet tall, being as tall at the waist as the men, the Europeans. And not just that, all all the Spanish people were short. The natives were tall. But here's a picture. Now, you're probably, you know, you could say, well, we don't have scale here, but Mm -hmm. people say, where are the bones? Well, most of them went to the Smithsonian, so you probably can't expect them, you know, in your lap anytime soon. But we do have them in picture, precisely where they were found. No hoaxing. No, none of this. This This was common business back in the 1920s. 1900s to they were uh, uh, what's it called digging up the mounds to build roads to fill roads with and what they were doing was bumping into giant skeletons like every month
2: you and know I wonder why we're not allowed to go into the mounds anymore
5: I mean, that's really- exactly exactly now you understand why there's this like pseudo spiritual consideration that's that's yeah. especially especially set aside for one group of people on the earth, Egypt, We they, they tear everything up themselves. They pull it all up right out of the ground. They want to see it. You go to uh, Thailand, they dig it up, they want to see it. But uh, Native Americans, the ones who conveniently were bought out with all the, all the casinos and all that stuff, they're the ones who won't allow any genetic testing on the ancient sites. Why? Because a lot of that genetic testing would probably show that they don't have the rights Right. Not that not that anyone has rights to land. I don't I don't think like that, but that their whole existence in some of the establishments is is a lie because
2: Yeah, the whole colonialism thing has to stay. That whole narrative has to stay. That's why they that's one of the reasons at the beginning when you were talking about why they lie, that's also a factor. They need they need this victim sort of mentality to keep keep going here. They keep having to, to demonize certain certain groups of people. Um so what what do you think about um, what was I going to ask you about the giants and about the, uh, the mainstream still, still kept like quiet about that though, back then even. So for some reason, like I know a lot of these newspapers reported it, but I I narrated a mainstream scientific work on the prehistoric uh, races. And they talk a lot about the mounds and a lot about central America and uh, like the Aztecs and the, the Mayans and, and they just wouldn't mention. They they had like a hundred pages in them on the mounds, and they just wouldn't mention the giants. They like they just stayed away completely from that. And to me, it seemed like they they talked. A, it was interesting from a the perspective where they the ruins and and those lost civilizations. Like they really said how prevalent those were. So they, there was some stuff that they seemed to be like, okay, admitting there's a huge mystery here and it needs more investigation, but they definitely wouldn't. uh. Wouldn't talk about the Giants. So the the cover-up must have been going for a while.
5: The Giants open up so many can of worms, not only because, you know, Giants only get, Giants don't get big off of normal human food, right? We'll just start right there. So they're either blood drinkers, magicians, or tapping into some energy, type of energy that we don't have access to today. So any one of those is an uncomfortable conversation for the mainstream academics. Number two, it shows clearly that mankind did not go upright from an ape to where we are now. At like six six feet is, you know, if you're lucky, six feet up tall is is like the, the new standard. Well, that's like a nice little verizon bar uh, you know staircase going up, which is how they like to show it, even though there's evidence that homo erectus could have been you know up up to eight feet tall uh neanderthal could have been up to eight feet tall any of these guys could have been up to eight feet tall excuse me i gotta blow my nose here
2: yeah no problem yeah i think uh yeah i think it's more about this i think it's more of a spiritual uh yes Suppression in a lot of ways i i really don't think they want us to realize how many how much powers we have how much like if we were really worked on our shit and weren't distracted that we could manifest our own reality kind of have the superpowers like you're talking about the giants there with magic i mean I, I really do think it all comes down to like just keeping us spiritually impotent to be honest
5: mm-hmm. yeah and you know there is magic to this oh. Like I said, I'm working on this video about the about the uh, hurricane protection blessing of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has been spared every major hurricane of the last 100 years, whereas Fort Myers and places just south of it get pummeled like year after year. And the difference there is that the Tokabaga Tocobaga lived in Tampa Bay. And they were said to be peaceful. They were said to have been more friendly, had more kind of palatable religious rites, whereas the other tribes were very um what would you say depraved carnal things like that so the tokobog were virtuous they lived in tampa bay they had the best territory the best best real estate in florida and they were possibly the tallest spanish said they were seven feet tall and their mounds their middens their burial grounds are what people point to today as the evidence, as they point to that and say, this is what keeps Florida or Tampa Bay, sorry, Tampa Bay safe from the hurricanes that come to Florida every year. Wow. So whether that's the giants, there's things, whole different, lots of different reasons there why, but giants is part of that.
2: because Do people... Is there people that like actually practice some, some prayer over at prayer now and, and meditation on that?
5: I've gone to some of these mounds. We're, we organize like meetups at some of these. Um, we, we don't get that woo-woo yet, that yet with it. But um, we're going to uh, – um, I know at places like the Miami Circle, they have tribes come out from all over to come and do events there. But I don't know about Tampa Bay.
2: What else you got coming up in the future? What else are you working on?
5: So there's an electrotherapy museum uh, just north of here, like real old, old world antiquitech machines. I went there, filmed a bunch of crazy shit. Wow. With electro, electrotherapy. Like we got electrocuted our hair stood up and that was just like the most basic thing. Tons, tons and tons of cool stuff there. And I, was doing a video with Devon, the black airbender out of Miami. And he's basically, I'm showing how today he's centered in Florida. He's kind of like the forefront of the electro culture. I don't know, breathwork realm right now. Wow. Electropuncture is what I filmed, where they were putting electropuncture needles, sorry, acupuncture needles, and then shooting a plasma arc right into it like like you wow. see the, bol- the bolt of electricity going from the gun into the person's oh, third Wow! and then we filmed that and then we went to the uh, the electrotherapy museum and looked at like the old style machines that were almost doing the same thing and then um, if anyone caught my there's a very special property in Miami with a cave on it I think a lot of people caught that video, um, yeah. uh, the portal El Portal. Okay. Well, we're going to be we're going to be doing a follow up video to that coming soon. But cool. that, that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm working cool. on right now.
2: Did you um? Does do they have anything on electroculture there as well, or just electro puncture? Y-
5: yes, a little bit. That wasn't like his forte. Okay. But the The museum was electrotherapy, but yeah. um
2: the bonds into electroculture for sure. I wanted to tell you, we, we narrated, we have this audiobook available on our podcast, uh adult brain Audiobooks podcast. It's the original electrocultural book uh, from the early 1900s from, uh, from Christian crystal flow. Yeah. Pretty interesting. I mean, it seems like they were really get making progress back then. And then just, it disappeared. You know, I wanted to quickly show you another book too, because I know you like the language thing and all that. Um, Mm-hmm. We got a book here that that did pretty well. It's from Alvin Boyd Kuhn as well, and it's called uh, "The Esoteric Structure of the Alphabet." Um, where is it? I'm not gonna be able to find it because I'm. this always happens. I'll probably go over it like five times and miss it. <clears throat> here it is. It's really, really interesting. He he talks about uh, like all these. Phonetic things in these alphabets all coming from the same source. You might find that super interesting as a as a quick little read. And it's also a podcast. Thank you. Yeah. How um how much
5: how much uh, longer we got going?
2: That's it. We can wrap up.
5: Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks,
2: buddy. Is there anything? Well, yet? How can how can people get to get a hold of you? How can people find your work and all that?
5: Well, old world Florida on youtube old world florida on instagram i've got a twitter i don't know it's something like that old world fl or yeah um but yeah that's it thank you for having me graham yeah right on buddy that and, was fun uh, yeah say good night to darren for All me right. but we'll do thanks yeah, buddy thank, we'll do it again sometime
2: you're welcome back anytime
5: for sure man thank you okay, see ya. good night
1: Take a look at the big old smile on my face. Kicking around down by the pool of narcissists. The people are many, they preen themselves. Oh, how they navel gaze. Somewhere over that hill, the gloomy skies cease to exist. I'm climbing that hill, I pass by, and pity the poor Sisyphus. I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. I'm strolling down a static electric avenue. The people are predictable, they say, good morning, how do you do? when out of nowhere a randomly pure angel in the crosswalk bumps into me and in doing so knocks all the evil and all the wind out of me and it's black as tar, ugly as ever and of no apology this angelic mama sings heavenly of the truest theology together we're a seraphim dream forever young with no chronology A thousand years from now, we'll be written into ancient mythology. We go into hyperdrive and turn into a beam of light. Can you tell me about the view up there? It's sparkling remarkably, the air is crystal clear. Well, please won't you tell me what it takes to transcend this place A little bit of heart and a whole lot of soul Take a look at the big old smile on my face As my angel says dance with me and your life will never ever ever be dull I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light Turn into a beam of light, 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 turn into a beam of light. light. light.